Father in heaven, you are our refuge. Our lives are in your hands. We know that we can trust you and that with your help we will stand. You are the Lord of every season, the eternal word of heaven. And we welcome you right now into this humble worship place. You are the Father of all mercy, you satisfy our thirsty souls with the water of your word. Our prayers are simple. We pray for strength in times of trouble, and we pray with grateful hearts in times of plenty. And we are grateful that our silent prayers are heard, as your word teaches us. We recognize that the hunger in our souls can only be filled when we abide with you in the shelter of your care, when we follow where you lead, when we listen to your voice, and so we offer ourselves in your service. We desire clarity and purpose 
as we go wherever you lead. How wonderful it is to pray the words that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There's an old saying that we sometimes like to use. What you see is what you get. It's a relatively true saying for most of what happens in life. But when it comes to our spiritual identity, it's far from the truth. When we look at ourselves in the mirror each morning, before we move on with the day, we see skin and teeth and hair and the rest of our physical appearance. We see what we look like. But what we see is misleading. We're not seeing what God sees. It's not that your eyes are playing tricks on you. You are looking at the outer part of who you are. And if you are a believer, what you see in a mirror is what you used to be. You're seeing the flesh. When you see the flesh, you see a face and arms and legs, and that's true. But in the New Testament, the flesh most often refers to how we are before we become followers of Jesus. Paul often used the word flesh when writing about someone who is not saved. Your original identity comes from your appearance. That's how the world in general establishes identity based on what is seen. We identify people by their cover, just like a book. Our identity is tied to our accomplishments and who others think we are. Bill's a doctor. Michael's an engineer. He was. <laughs> Mary is a teacher. Joe's a truck driver. Cliff is a computer programmer. Diana is a stay-at-home mom. We also identify people by income, where they live, their race, their culture, whatever else is apparent to the eye. We all do it. I've walked into motel lobbies and walked right back out based upon what the motel lobby looked like. I've judged neighborhoods based on the appearance of just a few houses. Laura and I, we did a lot of rehab work on our previous home in Bradenton. After doing a lot of work, it was still in need of a lot of outside cosmetic improvements. But inside, the rooms had been remodeled. Regardless of what it looked like on the outside, it was on its way to becoming a very nice house. That's the way it is for us as followers of Jesus. God changes us from the inside out. The old nature that 
existed within us has been rehabbed. That old nature doesn't control us anymore. The Bible describes this very clearly. We are told that our old self is replaced. It's replaced by a new self, patterned after the image of Jesus. In God's eyes, he has given us a brand new identity. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, we're told that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 21 through 24, Paul wrote, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. The old nature has been evicted. There's a new owner in the house. The new owner is righteous and holy. And who is the new owner? The new owner is Jesus. Colossians 3, verse 3, we read, You died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Something had to die for your life to be hidden with Christ in God. That something was your old self. When Jesus became your personal Savior, he became the new owner, and he started working on you from the inside out. An unbeliever lives from the outside in. Unbelievers get their identities from things on the outside, things that are seen, like color, gender, physical attributes, their appearance. Believers, on the other hand, are inside out. We get our identity from who we are on the inside. All believers are the same on the inside in that we, have all, we all have a new owner who paid a very steep price to live within us. His name is Jesus. Something wonderful happened when you accepted Jesus as your Savior. It wasn't exactly a surgical procedure, but it has been compared to that. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul described what happens when you, accept, when you accept Christ as your Savior as a spiritual circumcision. He said, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. In other words, when Jesus came to live in your house that is within you, he cut out the dead part and replaced it with his living Holy Spirit. I love the way God inspired the prophet Ezekiel to describe it in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. The prophet wrote, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. 
I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Oh my goodness. We are literally, and I'm not a literalist, but in this regard I am, we are literally born again. God takes out our heart of stone, the one we were born with, and modifies it. He infuses it with, or us, with his Holy Spirit. And that enables us to know and follow him and to love him the way he loves. This is how the old man dies and how the new man, the new you, is born. The infusion of the Holy Spirit. So the new you is no longer just flesh and bones, your outward appearance. The new you is being fashioned by God's Holy Spirit within you. You can see the old you when you look in the mirror. But God sees the image of his son within you. He sees you through the transforming power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. He doesn't see your broken down, weathered, tired body that carries you around for just a few short years on this earth. God looks on the inside. When Jesus said that those who believe will never die. He was talking about the new you, the spiritual you. The new you will not die, even though your body turns to dust. Your identity is not in your flesh. Your identity is not what you see every day in the mirror. We need to understand that what we see is not our true identity. If it was, that would be very depressing. <laughs> we could never live up to God's standards. <laughs> we would probably feel that God was against us. Paul understood this so well. In Romans chapter 7, verses 14 and 15, he said, The trouble is with me, for I am all too human a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for what I want for what I want to do for what I want to do for I want to do what is right but I don't do it. Instead I do what I hate. Paul understood that he had a sinful nature that was innate in his earthly body, but he also understood that his sinful nature was not the real Paul. He knew that he was a new creation on the inside. And that is the part of Paul that was redeemed. That was the part of Paul that was born again. Paul wasn't in denial. He was in Messiah Jesus. It's a glorious truth. We have been washed by the blood of Jesus, we've been justified and sanctified. And so Paul also wrote, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 
Our new identity is in Christ. Regardless of what we may say and feel at any given moment. The old you would not feel guilty or remorseful about sin, but as a believer, when you sin, and we will all sin, no one becomes perfect, you will feel guilty because that's not what the new you desires to do. As a believer, you lose your desire to sin. The Holy Spirit inside you is repulsed by sin. And as a result, guilt and remorse are felt. You feel guilt and remorse. So it feels real good to confess our sins. It makes us feel better. Thank God our sins died with our old selves on the cross with Jesus. Paul summed it up so well. Galatians, one of our favorite verses. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Your identity has changed. You are forgiven. But it gets even better. You are more than forgiven, you are a new person, both figuratively and literally. It is so incredibly wonderful to be forgiven. But you might ask, don't we owe it to God to repay him in some way? Hmm... Romans chapter 4, the words of Paul again, verses 2 through 4. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. See, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. What does that mean? This is powerful stuff. When you receive a paycheck, do you thank your boss when your money is handed to you? Normally, you don't. In fact, you might even mumble, mumble under your breath that you, your boss isn't paying you enough. You don't thank your boss because your paycheck isn't a favor. You earned it. That's what Paul's talking about. When you work, your boss then owes you a debt. In other words, if you could work to earn God's favor, then God would be in debt to you. But grace doesn't work that way. Grace and works are diametrically opposed the gift of eternal life. Your salvation is free. No boasting is allowed. The same truth prevails in our daily walks as well. That's right. It's not just your salvation, but it's also the, our daily walk as believers. We are saved by grace. And this is one thing I tell people so often. 
we are also expected, we also get the opportunity to live by grace. We are saved by grace and we live by grace. You cannot help yourself become saved. Likewise, you cannot help yourself accomplish God's work in you. Does grace go out the window when we become a Christian? No. See, the work we do for God is not from us. We say it all the time. It's Christ in us. God doesn't change the way he deals with us after we're saved. God saves us by grace. God also wants us to live by grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, Paul told us how he was able to work so arduously for the Lord. Paul said this, Three different times I begged the Lord to take my thorn in the flesh away. Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Jesus said that his grace is sufficient. And Paul humbly accepted that grace. Paul didn't say, thanks for your grace. Now it's my turn to do something for you. No, Paul said that he would most gladly boast in weakness and rest in the power of Christ. And Paul concluded in the next verse, Verse 10, when I am weak, then I am strong. That can only make sense if we are resting in the power of God's grace. If you think that through your own efforts and discipline that you can live the Christian life, then you are putting yourself into a weak and dangerous position. It's dangerous because if you are somewhat successful in being outwardly obedient, then you will likely become proud, proud of yourself, proud of your performance, become judgmental of others who, in your opinion, aren't as obedient as you. How do you know that your obedience is the work of the Holy Spirit within you? Now, this is sort of a play on words. The answer is life-changing. Obedience is only possible through the work of the Holy Spirit. You are either trying to achieve obedience on your own, or you are trusting in God's grace to empower you. Are you trying or are you trusting? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, Paul told us how he was able to labor so effectively for the Lord. He said, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is, in, that is with me. Paul labored. We all know that. That's an understatement. 
But he knew that his labor was not through his own effort. His labor was supplied by the grace of God. He thoroughly understood that. He knew that God is in control and that God would lead him in the path he was to follow. He wrote, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. This verse is wonderful. It was part of our opening call to worship. It tells us about what I like to call active rest. Active rest. What's that? Well, first of all, God is not sitting back in an easy chair wondering what we might do. He sought us out and found us through the blood of his son and then he placed his Holy Spirit within us. He didn't bring us into his family and then tell us you're on your own. Instead, he sealed us with his Holy Spirit, which is our guarantee. God wants to live through us. He doesn't want our self-serving intentions. Our best intentions almost always turn into broken promises. He wants us to rest in his glory. He wants us to find peace in him. Okay. For those of you that have gotten to know me little, some, somewhat well, you know that I'm really not a passive guy. I've been accused of being a workaholic. So that's why I need to continually remind myself that my spirituality is not up to me. I'm still learning this concept I call active rest. Sometimes it's hard to pull myself away from my own human tendency to make life happen. Make it happen. You want something to happen, you got to make it happen. That was one of my sayings back in the day. See, I need active rest. But active rest is not passive either. Active rest actively thanks God and gives him credit and allows him to work through us. Passiveness is doing nothing and calling it fate. It's not logical to live that way. But active rest is logical. Active rest finds peace and joy by knowing that God, our Almighty Father, is working through us. And active rest gives him the credit, just like the Apostle Paul always did. Rejoicing in God's glory is never passive. Jesus himself recognized that he could do nothing apart from the Father. He said, by myself. He said, let me say it again clearly. He said, by myself, I can do nothing. But Jesus wasn't passive. He understood where his power came from. We also need to understand, just like Jesus did, that our power comes from God himself. 
And then when we make ourselves available for his purposes, then he will make us complete in everything that we undertake because we'll be following his will for our lives, giving him the credit and the glory and the honor. He will make us complete in every good work. It's not me. It's Christ in me. Amen and hallelujah.